intentional Never failing the gospel this morning and worship them. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking 
we thank you and we praise you this morning. We thank you that you sent your son to be our God, our Emmanuel, for he is God with us. He never leaves our side. We praise you for that this morning.
go ahead and have a seat for a second. I got a special treat for you today. We have a guest visiting with us. And it, yeah, and uh, I can see he has some fans in the audience. But if you're, if you started coming here in the last six years, you may not know who this is. This is Ralph Rittenhouse. He's our former senior pastor. Uh, and he served here for 32 years. Um, and yeah, was, uh, I had the privilege of being on staff with him for a, a good part of that. Um, he's the person who led this church from meeting in a uh, rented facility to moving onto this property and developing what you see here today. God used him in mighty ways. And if, if you appreciate what we have in this church, it's because God led him to lead this congregation to build it. And uh, so he has an incredible legacy here, and we're forever thankful for his faithfulness to us during those years. So I have some questions for you, Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us how Jackie is. Oh, yes, how Jackie is. Well, that was my last command when I left, uh, left uh, Washington. She said to give everybody a virtual hug. She misses you deeply, and she wishes she were here. So bless you all. So tell us where you're living and what, you know, what's We're living in Washington State, about 20 minutes south of the Canadian border. So we're about as far up there as you can go. And this rain that you're expecting tonight, I ordered on your behalf so that we can bring it down here. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. Uh, we have plenty to spare up there. 
So Ralph's been retired about six and a half years from this job, but he didn't really retire from ministry. In fact, I think he's probably doing more ministry than he ever has. Um, he started a, um, a ministry called the Global Discipleship Initiative. Tell us what you do at the GDI. Well, when I was here in the last five years or so, we discovered a method of making disciples that was kind of new to us, and, and it was so successful here that we, when I retired, I, with Dr. Greg Ogden, who authored the material, we formed Global Discipleship Initiative, and we began offering this training of how to make disciples to pastors and missionaries and training organizations around the world, and it's been an exciting time. Yeah. Uh, I, have, I have one group that I meet with regularly. I have a pastor from the, from the United Kingdom. I have a pastor uh, from Arissa, India. I have a pastor from Ta, uh, Tamil Nada, India, and a, and a seminary professor from Philadelphia. Yeah. And we and all different time zones, and we all meet together for our quad every, every week, and it's just so fun to see these guys. And I've never seen them face to face. And this is something that COVID taught us, is that you can go into all the world and make disciples and never leave your house. <laughs> so we see them every week on Zoom. Yeah, so you told us an interesting story in the first hour. Um, uh, what country was it? It was uh, Myanmar. Myanmar, yeah. Yeah, Myanmar is, of course, if you've watched the news, you know they are under a, a military government now that took over after election. They didn't like the election, so they just came in and took over, and it's a very uh, dangerous place to be. But a young pastor there uh, got, our, uh, got on our website, found out about us, called, and said he wanted to learn how to do this. He's training pastors, church planters, in a Buddhist country, a, a country that's 98% Buddhist. He wants to plant 200 evangelical churches there, so he asked us, uh, he asked for our help and and training his new pastors. So I meet with him on uh, it's six o'clock on Monday night my time, 9:30 in the morning on his time, and we meet with these young pastors and they speak Burmese. I don't speak any Burmese. Um, I speak English. I don't, you know, but the pastor speaks both. He speaks Burmese. So he translates when I speak in English to the Burmese. He, he translates for them back into English when they speak to me. And this thing has been going on for a year and it's been incredible. And these guys do their homework. They memorize their verses. They, in fact, one of the guys, two of the guys uh, had to leave to go back to their village uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they, were, they had to climb up a tree to get cell signal to come into our meeting, but they did. <laughs> so it's crazy, but it's really fun, and God's doing lots of fun so things. They're having a huge impact around the world. They're in 52 countries. There's only 150 countries in the world, so they're like in a third of the world. Uh, that's in the last six and a half years has been an incredible expansion that they're seeing. Um, even had some um, a reach into the Ukraine. Want to tell us a little bit about that? We established a ministry in Romania, and I think we did that while we were still here. I think some of you even went with us to Romania uh, to do some training there. But that ministry is going very strong, and they border Ukraine. And of course, when this this the the uh, troops started surrounding Ukraine from from Russia. Uh, we got worried about our people in Ukraine. We have a new national director there and his family, and so we contacted them, got them out, got the, uh, rented a house in Suchava, Romania for them. Uh, the pastor, Igor, went back because he didn't want to leave his congregation without leadership there, so he went back, uh, and, and, then the, and then the invasion came. And then he couldn't get back, and then finally we got him back across the border. We got him papers for humanitarian access both ways. On, and, and now yesterday, 
we have bought him a van so that he can transport uh, food and stuff to the people that are still trapped in Ukraine. And he's in, in uh, uh, Kiev this morning delivering this stuff, and he will also bring people out that couldn't get out. He will try to get them out. So it's a crazy thing that's going on, but we get to be a part of it in some small way, and you guys are helping us. I mean, the, your church has sent us contributions to be able to help these people, and we're going to continue to do that. It's a long-term thing. You know, this is not going to be an overnight solution. Absolutely. So Ralph's Ministries, a ministry of multiplication, they train people to make disciples who will make other disciples. Um, they're, and they're training pastors throughout the world. It's an incredible thing. They're on our mission support. So if you give to us, you, part of what you're giving is supporting what, the GDI uh, ministry that he runs. Thanks for your time and for visiting with us this weekend. If you want to hear more from Pastor Ralph, what can they do after the service? After the service, we'll be back in the music room. We're going to have lunch back there. If you want to join us, we're going to talk more about the opportunities and what's happening around the world. All right, let me pray for Ralph. Uh, Lord, thank you for Pastor Ralph and for his ministry and his faithfulness to you for over the years, starting a Campus Crusade and ministering in this church and now with GDI, Lord. Would you continue to grant him good health and longevity so that he can continue to serve you in this uh, tremendous and important ministry? We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we bring glory to God, thanking him for what he's doing here in Camarillo the whole world. We're thankful for GDI and all that they're doing and how our church can participate, impacting those in Ukraine and Romania and many different countries. We're going to sing about how powerful God's name is. There is so much power in his name to do good, to love on others. Let's sing it together. You have no off of our worship. He says, I want you to love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He invites us to use our entire being, our every facility we have available to us to worship him. So let's bring that in here this morning. Feel free to raise your hands, clap, sing out loud, dance if you want to. It's all right. We're all going to be in his, to his glory. Now let's sing. From heaven's throne, you came to us and set your heart upon the cross we'll never know the sacrifice you made for all our sins for all our sin and all our shame you took the nails and took our place no one else could do what you had 
Him high. One name, one name is higher. One name is stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over all. From the grave where death would die, you rose again and brought us life. You're reigning now, the Savior of the world. Aren't you thankful He's on His throne today? Yes, you're
Good morning. You guys ever wonder why I pause? Because uh, I'm looking to see when we're online and when they can see me first. So if you're online, welcome. We wait for you. You're that important to us. We're so glad you're with us. If you're on the patio, welcome. If you're in the building, Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. Welcome to Camp CC. My name is David Hurtado. And just in case I'm new to you and you're new to me, uh, welcome to our church. I'll be on the patio afterwards, hanging out with people. If you haven't had a chance to come by and say hello, I don't bite, I promise. Come and say hi. If you're online, come and, uh, you know, uh, afterwards, I'll still be there <laughs> if you want to. Anyway, uh, welcome. We're so glad. I'm uh, so glad to have Ralph Rittenhouse here this morning. Pastor Meredith, extraordinaire. Absolutely. I do hope that you will go to the uh, luncheon afterwards and, and kind of check out what he's doing. Uh, hero to me, if you uh, appreciate anything that we have here as a church, this building, uh, God works through a man and leading uh, through a, a, a man and, and his vision, and God used Ralph in our church, no doubt. I mean, uh, from zero to hero. I mean, we're meeting in a, in, a, in a gym, and so what you see today, all because of Pastor Ralph Vittenhouse, is a hero to me. I had breakfast with him yesterday, and I was just asking him, hero me on two levels. Obviously, all of this, thank you. Jesus for Ralph and what, he, what he's able to accomplish uh, through Ralph. Uh, but then also on another level, just uh, Ralph made it to the end and retired, never defaming the name of Christ. And we don't see a lot of pastors make it all the way anymore. And so, yeah, there was another, another worldwide uh, recognized pastor just went down, just saw it again last week. And so I sat him down and go, tell me, how do I make it? I want to know. Uh, you're a hero to me on many levels, and probably the biggest level is you made it to the end without defaming the name of Christ. So give me all the tools and resources I need to make it to the end. And so uh, I used to, when I was younger, look at the big churches with the fancy pastors and their names and the books and TV and all that stuff and think, wow, that's it, right? And now I think, no, 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 no. I just want to be able to make it to the end and uh, not have to feign the name of Christ. So you can pray for me, pray for us. The enemy is definitely coming after us left and right. It seems like every week someone else goes down. So, so thankful to him, hero on multiple levels, and I hope you'll check out the luncheon today. I gotta dive in, because we got a lot to talk about today. I found this illustration last week, and I couldn't believe it's true. And, and, I, and I said, you know what, I gotta share it with you, because apparently it is true. It's an illustration about Abraham Lincoln. Uh, one of Abraham Lincoln's earliest political enemies was Edwin M. Stanton. He, he called Lincoln a low cunning clown and the original gorilla. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was ridiculous, he would say, for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla when you could find one right here in Springfield, Illinois. Lincoln would never respond to the slander, but uh, when he became president and needed a secretary of war, he chose, guess who? Stanton. When his incredulous friends asked him why, Lincoln replied, because he was the best man for the job. And I hear this story, and I go, there's no way. There's no way that story's true. I mean, there's something in my human nature that says, I would never do that. Like, I'm a believer in Christ, even, and I know that we should have this thing called character. But if I become the president of the United States, and you did that to me, your career possibly could be over. You know what I mean? And, and it's not like I got to be mean about it. I just kindly never employ you. You know what I mean? And I was thinking to myself, like, like Lincoln, like, weren't there other people who were, who were you, know, you know, qualified, as qualified, maybe just a little tier below him qualified, and you could have put that person and got the job done? Like, like, why did you go with him? Like, I'm not sure that I would do the same thing. Not sure that I could do that. That's why this... Abraham Lincoln's story is kind of otherworldly. It, it, it kind of is counterintuitive to the, the values that we espouse, especially in our flesh. 
I mean, you might even call it Christ-like. I don't know if Abraham Lincoln was a Christian or not, but I can tell you the love of Christ worked similarly. similarly. It was non-retaliatory. Jesus dies for the sin of the world. The very people who would falsely condemn him and crucify him, he would say of on the cross in Luke chapter 23, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. Even at that place, the raffling off his clothes. He says, forgive them. This is an otherworldly type of love. Interestingly enough, years later, as the slain president was now laying in state, Stanton looked into the coffin and through his tear-filled eyes said, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. His animosity finally broke, broken by Lincoln's long-suffering, non-retaliatory spirit, patient love, won out. And yet if you're like me, meaning just human, you might struggle with this kind of thing. You might struggle with this kind of love. Like, struggle. Really? Can we really attain that? That's so lofty. It's so out there. That ideal of love is so high. I, I don't know that I could do that without struggling. Today we're going to explore the boundaries of biblical love and discuss our difficulty with it. Why is it so hard to maintain it and how far reaching are its ideals? How do we deceive ourselves out of biblical love and what are the parameters of God's love anyway? How do we go wrong and what is God's true standard? For that, we're going to be in your Bibles. I challenge you to open up. If you have a bound Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have one of these bookmarks, just put it in there because every week we take the next section. And it's easy to open that way. If you have a phone or a device, open that up right now. If you're online right now, open up a new window and get to the Word of God together. I have nothing to say if it doesn't come from God's mouth himself. Make sure that you're saturating yourself in this. Marinate yourself in God's truth. The overarching question today as we look at chapter 13, really verses 1 through 7, we'll start kind of in the last verse in chapter 12. The overarching question is, why is the concept of biblical love so difficult for us to maintain? Why is the concept of biblical love so difficult to maintain, to attain to, to strive after? Why is it so hard? And the first reason we're going to see is because our hearts are so deceptive. Our hearts are so deceptive. We can be deceived by our very heart. We think we're in the right and we're in the wrong. The heart is deceitful, according to David in the Psalms. Why is the biblical concept of love so difficult for us to maintain? It's because our hearts, our hearts can deceive us. We're going to see that in verses 1 through 3, but we'll start in verse 31 at the last chapter. And I will show you still a more excellent way. I want to stop there. I want to remind you where we were last week. Last week, uh, Paul was talking about this grading of gifts. And the, contextually right now, we're in a passage talking about the gifts of God. And, and they were grading the gifts. This one's higher. This one's lower. And Paul says, no, you got it all wrong. Those aren't even the, the, the right gifts to be valuing. And, and you guys are speaking in tongues, and you think that's the best one of all. And that's not even the best one of all. What you need right now is prophecy. And you need the, the gifts that are going to establish the word of God. And he goes through that whole thing. I'm going to show you now a greater way. And the greater way that he's going to show us is love. Instead of being competitive and who's higher and who's lower and who's up higher on the stratosphere, who, who, who climbed the ladder further, and, and, and look at me, look at me, look at me. Instead of doing that, you could embrace love is the idea. And so I'm going to show you a more excellent way. In verses 1 through 3, he starts. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers enough to understand all mysteries and all knowledge... 
And if I have faith to, to remove mountains, but not love, then I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my very body to be burned, but if I have not love, I gain nothing. Why is the concept of biblical love so difficult for us to maintain? Because our hearts are so deceptive. We can convince ourselves one thing when there's really something else going on. He expresses that there's a more excellent way, and then he gives three negative examples of when you don't do something in love. And, and the first negative example is speaking in various tongues or various languages without love. Now, for those of you guys who are waiting, baby breath, I know, because you come to me every week and you tell me, like, when are we going to talk about whether these things are still around today? Are the revelatory gifts still around today? Is, is prophecy still a thing? Is tongue still a thing today? Is it or is it not? What do you think, Pastor Dave? For those of you guys who are waiting for that, I promise you the next message within this series, we'll, we will go into that and we will dive into that. Uh, it just takes a little bit longer to to kind of uh, frame that discussion that I have time for for today in our passage. But I promise you, we're getting there and come the next message in the series and you'll see that. Uh, but here, we're talking about tongues again. He's brought it up a couple times and there's two schools of thought on this. this is, there is this uh, human language that I never learned and I, I now have the ability to speak and interpret. Uh, whether it's I, I go to China, all of a sudden I can speak Chinese. Whether I go to Africa and all of a sudden I can speak an African language. You know, I, I have this supernatural ability now to speak in another language and understand it. Uh, that's one school of thought on it. Now it would be very, very helpful uh, to be able to preach the gospel to another culture that speaks a different language, right? And so that's a miraculous gift that was given. Uh, another school of thought on this is not only was it that, but it's also uh, heavenly languages. Like whatever language the, the angels speak, all of a sudden you have the ability to speak in that language and interpret it even though you never learned it. Either or, you're speaking a, a, a language that you weren't born into, whether it's an unlearned human language or an unlearned heavenly angelic language. And the emphasis here is hyperbolic. If you could supernaturally speak in every known language, even that of the angels, but if you don't have love, then you're a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. You guys ever went to like an orchestra I used to play the trumpet when I was a kid, and you go, you know, I love the fullness of the sound of an orchestra, the whole thing, like, you know, whether it's like 100 pieces or whatever in there. And at the very back, there's a guy who does percussion. He does like the, the, the drums, and if they, you know, those little bell things that like, you know, they look like a, anyway, there's a thing that they do. <laughs> and then they have like a gong, like a life-size cymbal. It's like standing upright, and they have this big stick with like, uh, you know, a big drumstick with like a hairy looking uh, white mouse on the end of it, and they hit the gong, right? It goes, you know, that, that thing. Uh, and if you watch them, if you ever watch them, you go to like an orchestra and you watch them, if they only want that gong for two measures, they're counting one, two, three, four, and then they use their hand that usually has like a white or a black glove, and they touch the cymbal to stop it from gonging. Because just because you hit it doesn't mean it'll, it'll go forever. Go on, go on, you know, keep on going. And so they count the measures, they put their hand on, they stop it. And what he's saying here is if you uh, participate in this language, these languages that you can speak, and yet you don't do it in love, then you're like a resounding gong. After a while, it's just annoying. Like it just keeps on going, ruins the whole. Now, that's what you are if you're not participating in this religious, even miraculous activity, and if you're not doing it with a basis of love, if, if your heart behind it isn't loving, you can actually think about it. You can actually participate in religious activities, even miraculous religious activities. And if your heart is not love, then it means nothing to God. Our heart can, can deceive us into thinking that I'm doing this activity. It's a miraculous activity. I must be loving 
in a loving stature to be able to do this. And yet God's saying, no, no, even then, you could still might do it with the wrong motivation. He goes on. If I can speak in prophecies and having a faith that can move mountains, but if I, do it in, if, I don't have, if I don't do that in love, then I am nothing. The emphasis, again, is hyperbolic. If I could uh, uh, participate in prophecy, a supernatural gift where I understand all the mysteries of the world, I understand how gravity works. I understand uh, how the scriptures work. There's no mystery anymore because I'm so functioning in this prophetic gift that I know everything. I have all knowledge. You could view it as almost being uh, understanding things on an omniscient level like God, knowing all things. If I do all that, that's not a basis of love, then I'm nothing. And he goes further. If I have faith, supernatural faith, so that I can move a mountain. Jesus talked about this in Mark 11 and Matthew 17. If you have faith of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I believe Jesus was being hyperbolic there as well. The reason I would say that is, have you met anybody who's moved a mountain? He was saying, uh, faith can do the impossible. That's what he's saying. Now let's just take that hyperbolic statement of Jesus Christ, and then Paul says, I'm going to make it literal. If you could literally remove mountains, and yet if you did it without love, you're nothing. See, it's like I'm participating in the supernatural realm. Prophecy, faith to move mountains. But if I don't have love, I did all that. In the midst of these activities, then I am nothing. Now, consider what's going on contextually in Corinth. They're grading each other. Well, you have the gift of, of teaching. That's great. But we have, we have tongues. And you have, oh, the, your helps. That's nice. It's behind the scenes. I'm in front of everybody. Look at what I can do. And that's what they're doing. They're grading themselves. And he's saying, if you don't do these things in love, then you have nothing. No credit before God. Even though it's a miraculous activity. The third one is probably the height of this progression, the climax of this progression uh, of examples. And I want to go back to it uh, in verse 3. Maybe we can put it back on the screen. If I give away all that I have, even deliver my very body to be burned, but have not love, then I've gained nothing. If I give up everything mo of monetary value is the idea. Even give myself into martyrdom, but if I don't have love, then I've gained nothing before God. Again, the emphasis thirdly here is hyperbolic again. It's the climax of the progression. Now, this one's really interesting. This talks about a person who literally parcels out and sells everything they own and gives alms to the poor. Like, how does somebody do that without having the right motivation? How does somebody do that with something other than love? I mean, it seems very selfless. They sell everything, parcel out everything in my life so that I have nothing and give to the poor. And yet he says, if you do that without love, you gain nothing. By the way, this is the very thing that Jesus Christ himself in, in Luke chapter 12 challenged the rich young ruler on. Sell all that you have and come follow me and then you'll have an inheritance in heaven. Why all of a sudden is this used as a negative? How do you possibly sell, give to the poor, and how is that wrong? Interestingly enough, I know of a church about 75 years ago in the South when our country was desegregating integrating all races. There was a board meeting where the church, the leaders, the elders were trying to figure out, should they follow suit? Should we integrate like the rest of the country is integrating? Should we try to do some integrate, allow integration in our church setting? One very wealthy individual offered a million dollars so that quote unquote, they could go build themselves their own church. 
all the while probably thinking to himself that he had a very generous and very godly solution to this problem. They can have their church, we'll have ours. I'm even willing to give to it. I'll build it for them. But they're not going to worship with me. Yes, it's possible to give with false motive. It's possible to give even with a lack of love. The second illustration, giving your life up to martyrdom. Some translations say to give up your life to be burned. Other translations say to give up your life to, be, to, to boast that you gave up your life. Probably the better uh, textual variant there is to boast. Probably understood that. I'm going to give up my life and then we can boast about me. We can make this about me. Think, well, that doesn't make sense. You're gone. So how does this boast work? Well, to be honest with you, there are some terrorist-run countries right now that make billboards out of the faces of those who become suicide bombers towards their enemies. And then they offer the families of the person who died lucrative cash payments for the sacrifice of their child. You can even give your life up with false motive. He says, if you give up all the money that you had, lay down your very life, but if you don't do it with the motive of love, then you've gained nothing in God's eyes is the point he's making. He's using a progression of illustrations. They get deeper and deeper and deeper. The last one's like, wow, really, you can do that? Without love, yes, you can. And the whole point is we have the ability to participate in religious activities that are all well and good, but we also have the ability to counterfeit those activities. Like what's going on on the outside is one thing, but what's going on in my heart is something else. And the outside, that looks good, but in the inside, it's wretchedness. So I can, the action could be right, but it could be devoid of the heart. You can actually be religious in activity without love. It says, whatever gift you have and whatever gift God's given you, just understand this. You should still use it appropriately. And it can be used inappropriately if you're not careful. And so the question becomes, how do you know if the love of your heart is genuine? And that's what he spends the rest of the passage looking at. Why is the concept of biblical love so difficult for us to maintain? Number one, because, because our hearts are so deceptive. And number two now, because the standard is otherworldly. It's hard when the standard's so high and lofty. Like Jesus Christ himself becomes the standard. That's really difficult for her to be honest, to try to maintain or attain to. That's what we're going to see in verses 4 through 7, because a standard is otherworldly. Let's look at it together. It says this, Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and that type of love never fails. Why is the concept of biblical love so difficult for us to maintain? Because the standard is otherworldly. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm going, wow, that's a lot. Let's just start with the first one. He gives 14 different kind of defining points of what biblical love is. Seven, seven negative and seven positive. The first one he starts out with patience. Love is patient. It's literally the idea of, of trying to add fodder to a campfire and not being able to get it to flame or to fume. Like, I, I've been trying so hard. But by the way, I don't know if you've ever done this. This is my life. I'm trying to get the campfire to start. I can't get it to start. 
Did you know there's like a right way and a wrong way to do a campfire? I remember Mike, the first time I went camping, I was like, honey, this is a man's job. I will figure it out. <laughs> Half an hour later, she's like, if you give me five seconds, I can, like, oh, it made me so mad. That's it, we're bringing a torch every time. <laughs> I couldn't get the thing to light, you know? And he's saying when you are trying and you're trying so hard to ignite somebody to anger and you can't get them angry, that's the idea. It's the idea of being slow to anger, slow to be resentful, long-tempered. It's the idea of non-retaliatory. The KJV says, suffereth long. You're so patient, I can't get a rise out of you. That's the standard of love. By the way, if that's not convicting for you, I don't know. I mean, you guys all see me, hey, he's on the stage, he seems happy all the time, he's a good dude. And I think I am, by and large, but you've never seen me frustrated. You never see me like irritable. You never see me angry. And I, if that's a standard, holy cow, I certainly don't meet it. It says love is patient, love is kind. It's the active counterpart to patience. What do you do while you're waiting patiently? Well, you're kind. It's active goodwill in the face of difficulty. Somebody's trying to get a rise out of you and you are able to maintain kindness in the midst of it. How many of you guys are good at that? Good, nobody's raising their hand because you'd all be lying if you were. Love is not envious or jealous, denotes the, uh, a call to rivalry, strife, and division, having a factious, competitive spirit. I want what you have, your esteem, your title, your notoriety, your, your financial wherewithal, I want it. What do Satan, Eve, Cain, Joseph's brothers, Daniel's contemporary officials, the prodigal son's older brother have in common the sin of being steeped in envious and jealous mindedness. Satan wanted to be God. Eve wanted the fruit. Cain was jealous of his brother. Abel, Joseph's brothers, were, were jealous of his star rising. Daniel's contemporary officials wanted his esteem. The older brother of the prodigal son's story was jealous of the party that his dad gave to his son who came home. Envious and jealousy. When we're functioning in that motivation, we are not functioning in love. Love does not boast. It's the other side of the jealous, envious coin. When I'm jealous and envious of you, I want what you have. When I want you to want what I have, I'm boastful and prideful. Look what I have, everybody. Be jealous and envious of me. An inordinate desire to call attention to yourself is the idea. Love does not become conceited. It's not arrogant. It's not proud. It's not puffed up. Whereas arrogance is big-headed, love is big-hearted. The next one, rude. Better translated, probably be better to translate it, uh, something to the effect of uh, does not behave dishonorably. It has the, uh, the idea in the word of shameful or indecency. It doesn't participate in shameful activities, indecent activities. You might remember in chapter 7, there was the guy who was engaged to his betrothed, his virgin, so to speak, in, 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 uh, in chapter 7. And he's behaving with her inappropriately or dishonorably or improperly or indecently. He needs to marry her. That's the same word here. Acting dishonorably. Love does not act dishonorably. It's not love. Maybe lust. It's not love. Love does not seek itself. It's not self-seeking, according to our text. It, it does not try to find itself as if that was the highest, greater good that you can find on this earth. It's not enamored by, by self-gain, self-justification, or self-worth. Love is others-focused more than me-focused. 
It's not self-seeking. That's the standard. Otherworldly. I mean, one of these is hard. Can you imagine trying to fulfill all of them? It's not irritable. Probably better translated, not hot-tempered. Well, I only lose my temper every once in a while, and it's only for like three minutes, so it's no big deal. Do you know what else only lasts like three minutes? A nuclear bomb. A lot of damage can be done in a very short period of time. Love is not hot-tempered. doesn't provoke others to anger. Love is not resentful. Better idea is it doesn't keep a record of wrong. It's the idea to, to reckon or to keep account of, to enter into the ledger. Another entry into the ledger. Like an accountant who, who, who oversees the, the finances numerically. Love does not keep the score. Can you see why this is uh, probably the most prominent text ever used in marriage? How many of you guys use this in your marriage? Okay, I'm the only one. <laughs> this is, this, this, yeah, if, if, we could, if we could figure out how to um, um, make this active in our married life, we wouldn't have problems. Keeps no record of wrongs, doesn't keep a ledger. Love does not rejoice in injustice or in righteousness. True love doesn't find delight in evil. No matter if it helps you win, takes out your competition, acts as karma for your enemy, aligns with your political clause, evil is evil in the eyes of God, and you don't rejoice in it. In his loving paradigm, you don't rejoice in evil. Doesn't delight in other people's shortcomings. That's not true love. Instead, it rejoices in truth. It bears all things. Like the covering of a roof on a house, all the inhabitants of the house are protected because of love. Bears up against difficulties, it never gives up like a roof on a house. Believes all things. Whenever you see the word belief in the New Testament, you just think trusts. Doesn't mean that love is a blind eye to the truth, but believes the best in people and never ceases to have faith in them. It's kind of what God does to us. Hopes in all things. Love is very optimistic and yet not naive. Love refuses to take failures and make them final. Isn't that what God does with us? I know there's this past life of who you were, then you came to know Christ, and God changes you. The Spirit of God comes inside of you and produces the, 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 this, the fruits of the Spirit moving forward. And so God's love says, I don't care what you did back here, what you're even doing presently, because I have a solution for this, and who you will be will be different, because your failures do not, make, do not need to be final with God. That's love that hopes in all things. And lastly, love endures all things. It's the idea of perseverance. It perseveres. It remains steady in the face of unpleasant circumstances. It's use of a military term where the army's holding their vital position at all costs. Kind of reminds me of what's going on right now in the Ukraine as we speak. We will not give up our, our, our vital positions. We will hold steadfast in the face of unpleasant circumstances we will endure. No matter what, we won't give in. What Paul is doing is saying, I want to describe to you what love really is. Because what you guys are dealing on in Corinth is nothing like what love is. The rivalry, the factions, the dissensions, the schisms, the, the party spirit, the elitism, the racism, the, the, the sexual indecency, the divorce, the concept of your gifts, one being higher than the other, and look at me, and I got the good gift, and you guys got the bad gift. All that is devoid of love. None of that is biblical love. You missed the whole point. 
You can function in miraculous activities, religious activities, and if you don't have love, you have nothing. And so what matters is not just what I do with my hands or where my heart is at when I'm functioning with my hands. In essence, what he's saying is we should love like Jesus. That's an otherworldly standard for sure. We should love like Jesus. Now I realize that that might seem impossible. Without the Spirit of God in our lives, according to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, producing the fruits of the Spirit, it is impossible. In and of our flesh, it is impossible. But if we're living by the Spirit, we can accomplish it. But even then, it's still like, wow, what a lofty goal. How do you do this in your life? And that's what brings me to the big idea. To love like Jesus seems impossible, but we strive for that standard anyways. It may seem impossible to love like Jesus, and apart from the Spirit of God, I don't know how we could, but we strive for that standard anyways. God says, I've given this love to the world, and now you are to embody that love and, and show it forward. Even when it seems impossible, we strive for the standard Anyways, now, I realize that I run the risk of, man, hey, went to church today and I found out we should love. Love like Jesus. Amen. Let's do it. Ah, you got all these euphoric, utopian, uh, uh, euphoric, utopian ideas in your mind. And in the theoretical realm, it's like, yes, we should do that. And then when we go to the practical realm, we realize how hard it is to employ. It's very difficult. But regardless, we must remember to love like Jesus seems impossible but we strive for that standard anyways. Let me see if I can illustrate what I mean. You might remember in the last two or three years, we had an initiative where we took on a church plant. We helped a church plant. It was in our family of churches, our denomination, Converge, and they were, there was a church planner named um, uh, Ken Lippold and his wife, Emmy, and they were gonna go plant a church in LA. They wanted to go in the heart of LA, and they uh, wanted to plant a church there. And so we took them on. Uh, our denomination supports them, and we support them as a church. And then we said, let's do an initiative for them. Kenny built this big sign that said LA Impact. You remember that? And you could screw light bulbs into it. And we had this little slogan, like, hey, why go to Home Depot and buy a blue light bulb for $1.50 when you could buy one from us for $500? And we just were trying to be funny, but we sold more blue light bulbs than any other light bulb because the other, the other colors weren't, weren't as much, right? You, can, you could buy a $50 light bulb. You could buy a $100 light bulb. And we end up raising, I was hoping to raise like $10,000, $12,000 to help them out. We raised like thirty, dollars $33,000 for Ken and Amy and their church plant in L.A. Now, I haven't done a good enough job of keeping you abreast as to what's going on with them, but I remember driving with him, with Ken. We're driving all over L.A. Where are you going to meet? You got this church now. Uh, you know, you got, you, got, you got like 25 of these young adults who want to start a church. Where are you going to meet? So we're driving by schools. We're driving by, you know, rec centers. We're driving, we even drove by like this new age hall. <laughs> we're like, we'll have to pray over it with oil. But anyway, like, you know, and, and finally we came to this church, and the name of the church was Christ Church L.A., which is ironic because Ken was naming the church Christ Church L.A., and they had had that name for about 100 years already. The church's been there since like 18-something. And so, uh, uh, or 1920 or something like that. And, so, and, and, and he said, pray with me, David, because we were hoping that they, they're taking um, interviews with, from three different church planters right now, and they're going to offer one of those church planters to be able to rent the building. So he had an audition just to rent the building. And they auditioned, and they said, you know, we've chosen you. We're going to let you rent our building. And then COVID comes. Great. So they're literally meeting in the parking lot. They're paying for a building, but they're meeting in the parking lot. So they go through that whole season together, and what you don't know about this church, Christ Church of L.A., the old one, was, uh, had eight members left. It was dying. 
By the time several months go along, there was five members left. And then at the very, uh, I would say the very end of last year, November timeline, those five members voted to merge with the new Christ Church of LA. So the old Christ Church of LA merges with the new Christ Church of LA. And as a byproduct of that, Ken Lippold and his wife, Amy and the, Emmy and their, and their church inherited about four to six million dollars of property. They went from $30,000 to $4 to $6 million in property. Now, it's not a big piece of land, but it's in L.A. And, they, and those five members, God bless them, could have said, let's sell this to a developer. And they would have made a high-rise, you know, uh, apartment building out of it. And instead they said, no, we want to make sure there's a church who wants to reach our community. And you guys seem like you fit the bill. Now, God wasn't only working miraculously through their physical ability to, to meet and, and, and their physical ability to hold services. There's some other miraculous activities. I think if you'll listen to, you'll find them to be rather miraculous as well that were going on, even in the spiritual realm. I was with uh, Pastor Lippold uh, a couple weeks ago. We had an L.A. pastor's meeting, which is like our, our lead pastors of, of our family of churches in L.A., and we were getting, had lunch together and asked how things were going, and he shares this story. This is a true story. There's not a lie in it. I just changed the names. He mentioned that one of the final members of the old church is an old Hispanic guy. We'll call him Rodrigo, and uh, the thing about this guy is that he is a right-wing, politically conservative, staunch believer in Christ. And anything that comes to your mind stereotypically when you think of those words is probably true of him, like conspiracy theories and all. That's who he is. On the other end of the spectrum, they had been doing these outreaches and meeting the community, and they, uh, Ken had noticed there's an individual in the building, in the church building, and he went up to him, talked to him, said, how are you doing? I'm so glad you're here. He goes, oh, I'm not really here. He goes, okay, well, this is going to be an interesting L.A. discussion. Uh, 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 you're not really here. So, oh, no, no, I'm not here. I'm a gay liberal. You don't want me here, and I'm not really here. So I, I'm, I'm a gay liberal. I'm just going to let you know from the very first sentence, I'm a gay liberal, and you don't want me here, and I'm not really here. And Kim was like, okay, um, is there, you know, a name that I could refer to you as besides, you know, my gay liberal friend who came to my church? He goes, yeah, yeah, my, my, yeah, my name is John. So on one side, you have this staunchly conservative, uh, older Hispanic guy, right-wing, politically conservative, everything you can imagine that goes with that. And the other side over here, you got this gay liberal guy coming to the church. As luck would have it, they end up in a prayer circle together. The gay liberal guy keeps on coming. Uh, John keeps on coming. Rodrigo, the conservative, keeps on coming. And they're just doing this prayer thing, and the three of them are in a prayer circle. This is a true story, I promise you. They're in a prayer circle together. And, and Ken's thinking to himself, oh my gosh, what's going to happen here? Oh, man, what's going to be said? Am I going to have to stop the service and stop a fight? Uh, you know, us pastors, we actually have a goal. Like every week, we want to come to church and, and, and like it be positive. Like, like it's my goal to get out of here without any arguments or fights. Like it's actually a goal of mine. And so Ken's going, what do I do in this situation? How did the prayer circle work out like this? And it's John's turn to talk, and John says, you know, um, I do have a prayer request. Uh, I have a friend who recently passed away. Um, it wasn't really uh, noted as to how the friend passed away, but it's kind of shocking. Everybody there is in their 30s and 40s and younger, and, and um, Pastor Ken was shocked in amazement because Rodrigo had been able to ignore his political leanings, loved John like a brother, and he looked in his Bible, and he said, I have this note card here, and this is full of verses of how to mourn and how to grieve when you lose a loved one. I just lost a loved one, and I want you to have it. And John said, thank you. I'll read them and I'll go back to the Bible and I'll pray over them. Thank you, Rodrigo, for giving me that. And Pastor Ken is floored. What in the world is happening right before my eyes? You know, that's not the only miracle. 
John would keep on coming, the Gabe liberal who's not there, but is there, for months. And Ken would have these conversations with John and say, John, I, I got to tell you, I really feel for you. Like I, like, I really feel for you because, I mean, Christ talks about taking up your cross and following him and counting the cost before you, before you believe. And, and, and I, I realize for you, John, that might be harder than most people. Like, most people come in and I offer them Christ, and it's one thing. But for you, it could, actually, it could cost you a lot more. Like, like, carrying your cross might be different for you and harder for you than for the rest. Like, if you really embrace this thing, you might... You might see that it causes you to shift your own personal identity. Months would go by. Finally, it's Christmas Eve service time. They did a Christmas Eve Eve service so people like me, pastors who've been involved in their church, can, can go. And I got to go and be a part of it and did their little Christmas. They had like 72 people in this Christmas Eve service. It was awesome. They were telling the community. They had empanadas there. They had you know, all these. And I didn't know, but, I didn't know, but Ron, uh, Rodrigo and, and, and John were there. It was a beautiful service, and then afterwards, he invited everybody back to his house. Ken did, the pastor. I wasn't able to go to that, so I came home here because it's a little farther away. And, and, I, and then he told me the story of what happened at the house, and, and John approached and said, Man, Ken, I, here I've been waiting all this time. It's been months, and, and, and I've been watching people take communion left and right, and I was hoping to take communion tonight. So what happens is this church is when they take communion together, they say this is uh, something for the family of God to participate in, kind of like us. And if you're not a believer in Christ yet, we want to let you know that you don't need to feel bad about just watching what's happening and taking it in because the first thing you need to do is place your faith in Christ, become part of the family, and then you can be part of the family meal. And so here, Ken has been saying that for all these months, and John hasn't been taking communion for all these months. And he said, I came to church tonight hoping that I could take communion. Now, I know, Ken, you've been saying you got to count the cost and you got to take up your cross, and I have, but I was just hoping, and, and, and Ken goes, whoa, 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 hold the phone. Can, can you just go back a little bit? What did you just say? Because, yeah, I've counted the cost. I'm going to take up my cross and follow Christ. Place my faith in Christ before I came tonight, and I was hoping to take communion together, but we didn't take it tonight. Pastor again goes, are you kidding me? There's wine right there. There's bread right there. And here huddled in a circle in the dining room is Rodrigo, John, Pastor Ken. Right wing, staunch, politically conservative, gay liberal, and a Bible carrying pastor taking communion together for the first time on Christmas Eve. you don't see the love of Christ in that, I don't know what to tell you. To love like Jesus seems impossible sometimes, but we strive for that standard anyways. And I tell you, I know that illustration can ruffle feathers a little bit, but I just go back to the definition of love that we just looked at. Love is patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't, it's not jealous. It doesn't boast. It's not conceited. It doesn't behave dishonorably. It doesn't seek itself. It's not hot-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep the score. It doesn't rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness. Instead, it rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes in all things. And it endures all things. If you don't see the love of God in that, I don't know what to tell you. But there's something that draws us to it because there's something otherworldly about it. 
To love like Jesus seems impossible. But we strive for it anyways. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we come to you and we say the standard's too high. It's too lofty. It's too hard. I don't think I can do it. Abraham Lincoln, I don't know how he did it. Uh, loving in this fashion, I don't know how to keep no record of wrongs. Are you kidding me? Not to be resentful, not to be embittered, not to be, not, not to, to be non-retaliatory. Uh, we, we have so many things we want to debate in this world, and our society debates, and, and, and are you right or are you wrong? And here you say, who will sit it down and lay it aside? Who will lay it aside so somebody can know about Christ? Who will let them know about my love instead of winning your debate and your argument? And I got four points. Who cares about your points? Who will show them the love of Jesus? Because their souls are so much more important than the debate. Jesus Christ was on the cross, and he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He decided not to argue his case. He just decided to die for those who needed him most. Father, help us to love like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. If, yeah, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, uh, you can accept him. Um, there's an opportunity to do that now. Maybe you've been here for a while and you've counted the cost. The reality is that Jesus came to this earth to live this perfect life and to die a sacrificial death on a cross for that he didn't deserve. He died that death for you and for me to pay for the penalty for our sins. See, that's the death we deserve because the Bible says the penalty for sin is death. Um, but he's provided a way for us to have a relationship with him where we can be forgiven for what we've done, where the penalty's paid so we don't have to pay it, so we can have eternal life with him secured. Um, and you can have that by uh, receiving Jesus' offer to forgive you. Um, by turning away from your sin in this world and start pursuing a life with God uh, by beginning to follow Jesus. If you want to do that, or if you have questions about that, would you let us know? Um, we have people here at the counter on your way out who would love to talk with you and walk with you through that process or maybe even pray with you. If you don't have a Bible, we want to get a Bible in your hand. Um, and if you have questions or just want to be there for your journey. If you're online joining us today um, and you're ready to do that, you can go to campcc.net, click on next steps at the top of the page um, and fill out that form and one of our pastors on staff will get back to you to help answer your questions and, and you know we want to be there as you come towards Christ. All right, one of the ways we're going to worship him today is through giving. There's three ways to do that. Um, you, and no matter which way you choose to give, just know that uh, that money goes to ministry here and throughout the world for the ministries we support, like GDI, who you met Ralph earlier. Uh, this is the way we give back to God. It honors him to follow what his word asks us to do, um, and it's a form of worship. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your generosity in our life. Thank you for your forgiveness, for salvation, for all the things we have in relationship to you, for our eternal security. And thank you for all your provision in our life. And as we give back a portion of what you've already given to us, would you utilize it to further your kingdom here in Camarillo and throughout the world? We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Check out what's coming out next at CamCC. CamCC, I'm Meredith Hurtado. And besides being Pastor Dave's better half, I am the new food pantry manager and want to thank you for all your support with February's initiative. Every week, we're serving at least 120 families. So thank you, thank you.
If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. We wanna put a face to the name, so please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net forward slash next steps. Check out what's coming up next. March 19th, fourth and fifth grade Nerf War, 6 to 8 p.m. Calling all the fourth and fifth graders. Join us for an epic and action-packed Nerf War, if you dare. Invite some friends to join you. We will also have surprise games as well. So bring your A game if you think you have what it takes to win the Nerf War. Email Colin at cancc.net for more info. April 3rd, Spring Growth Groups launch. Check out the growth group table on the patio or go to camcc.net slash groups. Signups begin March 20th. If you're looking for a way to connect with people in our church, this is a great way and just an eight week commitment. Get to know a couple of families and build friendships that will extend way past the eight weeks. I would highly recommend you join one. I love my group. Try it out this go around, cause what do you have to lose? They've truly become like family. Childcare is available. For more info, email jimmoyer at camcc.net. April 7th, Travis Green and Israel Houghton. One night only. There's still some tickets left. Help spread the word. Who are you gonna invite? Enjoy two of the top gospel artists of all time. You grab your tickets in the lobby. Important dates coming up, so make sure and save the date and check out upcoming events at camcc.net. Family Camp, stay chill in Santa Barbara, May 27th to the 30th. High School Friathon Camp, June 19th to the 24th. Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th to the 8th. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CamCC, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Uh, what came to my mind and to my heart uh, during the message today was actually a relationship that has been rifted in our family between my dad and one of my brothers. And it's so much easier sometimes as an outsider to see how silly something is sometimes. It started a few years ago and has just been driven deeper and deeper as some other truths have come to light about our childhood and things of that nature. And all I see is how many birthdays we've passed and Father's Days and holidays that we don't get back because they both feel this need to be retaliating instead of finding that freedom and releasing it as they need to. I, it's so tiring to live with those resentments and things of that nature and how much better it is as a believer to have that freedom and to be able to live without enslaving yourself to the hurts and disappointments of this world. So I challenge you if there's somebody in your life that you've been harboring something against, creating this division. You need to release that and you need to go and forgive yourself, forgive that person. And I will be here at the front if anybody wants to have me pray with you. Uh, it might not be an intelligible prayer because I will probably cry through it, but I will still happily do that. Or anybody with a lanyard, we're here for you. And it's just so important. We all know that. So 
I'm thankful that you were here. And remember, if it's your first or second or third time uh, and you're a guest here, please go to the welcome counter in the lobby and uh, make sure you let us know and all of that. And of course, if you're watching us online, you can do the same and go to campcc.net slash next steps. And don't forget to grab tickets for the Travis in Israel concert as well. So have a great rest of your day and enjoy the rain tomorrow. Thank you.